thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a man so good that if the Avengers were real, he would totally get recruited, Mike Vandebogart. <laughs> uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, thank you to all of our loyal listeners for tuning in once again to Locations Unknown. Just a couple of quick updates here. First, new Patreon shout-outs, a lot of them this week. Uh, Jennifer Pisano, Jacob Lopez. Rashawn Duncan, Joanna Arbach, Joshua Fairchild, Kelly Ballard, Donna Steffi, and Brent Chuluski. 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 Thank so, you, all the new patrons. You guys are awesome. Thank you for having easy last names, too. That's always appreciated. <laughs> but thank you so much. Uh, we'll be moving into new studio space here in a few months. Yep. And your help will allow us to uh, really start building it out from day one with new equipment and What's um, funny is I don't think we told general audience yet, so you just broke the news. Oh, did I break the news? That's fine, but we can do it. Oh, yep. We're we're like a couple episodes away from it being in there. Oh, so uh, our, well, we could cut this out. No, leave it. It's funnier. <laughs> I totally forgot that yeah, we hadn't told. We only told patron supporters. Yeah. So uh, this is actually great advertisement. You're going to hear new <laughs> cool things first on Patreon before they actually happen. Unless I just like totally have a stroke. Yeah. And, so, uh, so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So we're got a studio space that we're going to be moving into <laughs> April 1st. And, um, we're going to do, we got to do something special. Yeah. We'll, we'll probably do something, especially for the Patreon subscribers. We'll we could do, do something. a 24 hour live stream. I was thinking, cause we said we were going to do that. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that. We might have to. Yeah. We might have to do. I totally didn't mean to do that. No, that's fine. <laughs> you know me. I don't care. Yeah. I, I, what a better, uh, not a better way to do it. So I, uh, yeah, I just like nonchalantly said, yeah, about the studio. Like, yeah. So yeah. So we're moving in. Uh, it's uh, right downtown Milwaukee prime location. Oh yeah. It's we, um, we got a, we got a pretty good deal from a supporter of the show. Yeah. Uh, it's hooking us up and I mean, it's, it's, a little ridiculous almost it's too much space it's too much space and for us it's gonna be us doing a podcast where we are on the first floor of a main building downtown corner. milwaukee corner office with windows is where we're gonna be recording it's it's pretty awesome yeah we'll uh we'll have to do a big like like you said a live stream for 24 we, hours we'll have to figure out a time we might not be able to do it for the first one because you have a new baby and all that your stuff well, we could my ro- stuff. we could like rotate in like guest hosts oh yeah well <laughs> but we got to plan it it's yeah. got to be we're gonna have to have like people yeah it could just be like andy could fill in for a few hours yeah we'll do we'll just do randos like local friends of ours who like i you know yeah our, our people in the community maybe <laughs> i don't know we I don't know. 24 hours is a long time yeah we'll have to bring tvs we're maybe. not we don't have that much interesting i mean things it's to gonna say. it's gonna be a couple hours of video game streaming podcast probably because yeah we'll just be, it's the things we like we doing. could just like fall asleep like and it'll just be us sleeping <laughs> that some of those make money 
Uh, All right, so, let's, let's continue. Yeah, this. continue. So uh, we also, uh, if you want to call the show, leave us uh, episode suggestions. Ooh, complain 24, about to 24 hour podcast suggestions. Yeah, well, and with uh, being on the live stream for 24 hours, you can actually call the show live. Ooh. Because um, I do have the ability to answer these calls, but I have it just. Yeah, it's got to be on a computer, mail. right? No. Oh. It can come through to a phone. All right. Um, so, yeah, call our number 208 391 6913. If you want to support the show, there's many ways you can do it. Patreon, YouTube memberships, premium subscriptions on Apple. You can also buy stuff from our stores on Facebook and our website. Uh, so it, you know, if you, you can't support monetarily, just tell your friends and family about uh, Locations Unknown. Yeah, spread the word. That that <clears throat> helps a lot. We uh, Our last episode was our largest episode ever yes. already in, in seven days, and we get ad revenue from that. So just telling everyone that you know that they must listen to our show helps also. <laughs> they, they have to listen. They absolutely must. Yes. Um, so that's all I had. All right, everybody. Let's get up and gear out. I said that backwards. Let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. With over 52 million acres, the U.S. National Park System is home to some of the most breathtaking natural features on the planet. Tens of millions enjoy these parks every year. Join us this week for an installment of National Park Cold Cases as we explore Glacier National Park. So this installment of the cold cases in national parks is near and dear to my heart. Um, probably yours too, Mike. Glacier is yeah. one of my favorite parks. It's large. Uh, that was the first time, I think our first trip was the first time I did that many miles in the backcountry. Yeah, no, Glacier. On foot. Yeah, Glacier is one of my favorite parks. Um, we've never actually done an episode on Glacier, so that's why I kind of picked it this week for the, the cold cases. Oh, yeah. Um, but no, this is great because we both have hiked the park. Joe's hiked it multiple times. Um, so we have firsthand experience of probably a lot of the, the places that these people have gone missing in. Yeah. I was just flipping through some of the photos before the show. I'll, I'll put them up on the screen later when Mike's talking, but I actually have a picture of a missing person, uh, that, uh, I forgot that I took the flyer, not the, the fly actual, yeah, person. not the actual person, the flyer <laughs> of the missing person, because last time I went, we got briefed as we always talk about that, the trail we were on that, it, that gentleman had gone missing. Uh, so I think it gave me obviously the idea of, holy cow, I, we never covered that show. I think I thought about it while I was out there and then yeah. got back and then life hit me in the face multiple times. And I, <laughs> I got a concussion from life hitting me in the face and forgot about it. Yeah. So Without further ado, we will go into Glacier National Park. Uh, it is 1.013 million acres. It is the 12th largest park. Uh, it is in Montana and was established in, on May 11th, 1910. 
uh, they see, uh, this is according to 2022 numbers, uh, which might be still a little low, yeah. uh, 2.9 million visitors a uh, year. puts it 31st for most visited. Uh, and according to archaeological evidence, Native Americans first arrived in Glacier area some 10,000 years ago. The earliest occupants with lineage to current tribes were the Flathead or the Salish and the Kootenai, uh, uh, the Shoshone, and the Cheyenne. The Blackfeet lived on the eastern slopes of what later became the park, as well as the Great Plains immediately to the east. Uh, the park's region provided the Blackfeet shelter from the harsh winter winds of the plains, allowing them to supplement their traditional bison hunts with other game meat. Today, the Blackfeet Indian Reservation borders the park in the east, while the Flathead Indian Re Reservation is located west and south of the park. So here's some interesting facts about Glacier. The park's nickname is the crown of the continent. It also has uh, it has also been called America's Switzerland, thanks to the jagged mountain peaks that somewhat resemble the Alps. It is a really beautiful, aggressive mountain range. Yeah. Uh, the park suffers from devastating wildfires. Fires burn through the park every summer and sometimes during other seasons, which each year now more than se uh, more than more severe than the last. Fires in recent years have destroyed homes, historic cabins, and the hundred-year-old Sperry Chalet which has fortunately since been reconstructed. I don't remember uh, when we were there, at least when I was there, fires, like when I was in Yosemite, you could tell the area we walked through had just been hit by a fire. But Yeah, we hiked through that small section, mm -hmm. remember, where like it was still pencil sticks? Yeah. But a lot, of, a lot of the smaller growth was already coming back, so it was still green. Yeah. It wasn't like freshly charred. Mm -hmm. uh, the park had 80 glaciers when it opened. That's significant because now, just over a century later, it only has 26. In addition to being a national park, Glacier is also a UNESCO Biosphere Reserve, an international dark sky park, part of the Waterton Glacier International Peace Park, the world's first, part of the UNESCO World Heritage Site, home to six national historic landmarks. It took 14 years to build Going to the Sun Road, uh, the park's iconic road was under construction from 1919 all the way until 1933, and even then it wasn't fully paved until 1952. The park straddles the Continental Divide. The Continental Divide runs from Alaska to Mexico and goes straight through Glacier National Park on its way. Going to the Sun Road crosses the Continental Divide at Logan Pass, where the elevation is 6,646 feet. So we'll talk about climate. Glacier's weather is highly variable and can be extreme. In winter, most of the park is covered in several feet of snow, and there are many cloudy, snowy days. That's where they close going to the Sun Road for a majority yeah. of the year, actually, because it's not even worth snow plowing. Uh, in spring, rainy days and cooler temperatures are common even through the months of June. Hot days and cool nights are normal throughout July and August. Hikers setting out on a warm summer day should expect changing conditions and bring rain gear and extra layers of clothing. We know that from personal experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it would like go crazy. from super sunny and hot to yeah. rainy, then back, and then rainy again. A lot of your stuff got wet. Yep. Uh, and it was worse, too, because like you, the sun would come out, and you're like, all right, I'd hang all my stuff out to dry, and then a rain cloud <laughs> would come and just re-soak it all, and you're like, God dang it. Yeah. Uh, in fall, temperatures begin cooling down, and snow may occur even at lower elevations as early as mid-September. Packing extra layers is the key to a comfortable visit regardless of the season. That is 100% true. Lots of layers. In the driest corners of the park along the northeast and northwest northwest edges rainfall averages 23 inches a year 
while the lowlands of the west side receive about 30 inches of precipitation on average. Since moisture-laden air is forced up, high, uh, up into high elevations at the continental divide and cools, the annual precipitation average jumps to 100 inches or more in isolated mountain kirks. I don't know how to say it. Cirques? Cirques de Soleil. Cirques. Yep, I'm going to yell that for that one. Snowfall settles to around 16-foot average snowpack. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, single-story home. That's taller than a single-story home. Yeah. So that's the average it's so, almost a two-story building. Yeah, I think I've seen images on their Instagram of, like, they'll get snow drifts that are, like, 30, 40 feet. Isn't that a glacier where they have the big, like, trucks with the huge, like, snowblowers on the front of them? I think there, and they do that in the Rockies, too. Yeah. I mean, isn't Glacier technically part of Rocky, the Rocky Mountains? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah good point. I meant Colorado Rockies. Yeah, the Colorado Rockies. I just always refer to it as the Rockies, <laughs> but, yeah. The east side gets less overall precipitation and is prone to high winds. Downslope gusts are often 50 miles per hour or more, sometimes reaching 100 miles an hour. Uh, the winter Chinook or snow eater winds regularly create a temporary spring, raising temperatures over 30 degrees Fahrenheit in just minutes. If cold Arctic air pools deep enough on the east side to spill over the divide and collide with Pacific moisture, raging blizzards can result. One dumped 44 inches of snow in a single day. <laughs> That's insane. Holy cow. That's so much <laughs> snow. Uh, do you remember that video? I think I posted the video on our Facebook of the dude who was hanging on to the flagpole uh, on no. a mountaintop, I think it was, and he was like being blown vertically. I think that was Glacier. <laughs> no, but I mean, if you get 100 mile an hour winds. Yeah, you won't be able it. to stand out there. Uh, Glacier National Park is home to 26 glaciers, 175 mountains, 762 lakes, 200 waterfalls, 563 streams. That's over 2,865 miles of streams in the park alone. That's a lot. Yes. Uh, the whole park is dominated by the mountains. If you've ever been there, it's mostly mountains, and yeah. you're basically finding paths through them. Um, and it was largely carved out by the last ice age. Yeah. So that's really cool. These glaciers have largely disappeared over the last 12,000 years. Evidence of widespread glacial action is found throughout the park in the forms of U-shaped valleys. Uh, i got to look this word up because I can't pronounce it. It's like Kirks. Kirks. Cirques. Cirques. You want to keep reading while I pull up the uh, translator? Outflow lakes like uh, fingers from the base of the highest peaks. Oh, the the five, what's the one that we went to where it's like five waterfalls that are glacial runoff that go into, isn't it like, Glacial Lake. Yeah. I, uh, There's a picture of us. I'll pull up when you're talking because yeah. it's it's me, you, Ben, Shay. I think it was just me, you, Ben, and Shay. Yeah. Were there and it was beautiful. The water was pristine. Yeah. So the highest point in the park is uh, Mount Cleveland coming in at 10,479 feet. And the lowest point is Flathead River at 3,150 feet. There we go. Cirques. It Cirques. is Cirques. You're right. Like Cirque du Soleil. Cirques. Okay. So. My bad. <laughs> uh, I'll jump back in. Types of animals. There are black and grizzly bears. We got to see a couple of the grizzlies. Got to camp with the, the <laughs> special forces of the park service. Yes. Uh, Officer Peach. <laughs> yeah, Officer Peach. Officer Peach. And he was like the hardened, like, yeah. the it was like Little John. Like the perfect name for him because he was like the like rusty, like, I've been yeah. up here for years. And his name's Officer Peach. I just remember him walking up to us with a 12-gauge shack and what are you guys doing yeah, here? Yeah, what the hell are you boys doing here? I'm like, I'm like we have permits. Yeah. Like, we have permits. We should tell that story at the end. We will. We'll make you hang on. You got to listen to the whole end. We'll tell you the story. Yeah. Uh, there are bighorn sheep, 
elk, lynx, mountain lions, wolverines, and eagles. Those are just some of the animals in the park. Yeah, there's a lot more. Yeah. Um, water, so you got to watch out for hypothermia and giardia if you're looking out for stuff like that. Uh, giardia is when you don't treat your water and you have to go to the bathroom a lot. I call <laughs> it number three. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the other thing you got to look out for is bears. There are grizzlies in the park, and because people do come through, they have been known to attack. That's the story we'll tell you later where we are approached because a bear was going into people's tents. Uh, looking for food and yep. going after people. So you do want to avoid running on the trails because they can scare bears, especially if you're on switchbacks. You turn a corner and scare yeah. a grizzly, you will not win. No. Uh, you want to carry bear spray and make lots of noise, uh, when you're, especially when you're going around blind corners. You want to, hey, bear, yeah. hey, bear, things like that, bells. Make- Our group never had a problem being quiet. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you do want to secure your food and garbage. If you can hang it, that's great. Otherwise, uh, if you are at backcountry sites, a lot of them have the food cages. You can lock it up. Yeah. Uh, you just don't want it on you because you do not want to wake up to a grizzly sniffing in your tent. No. No, sir. Uh, with mountain lions, uh, it's the same kind of anywhere. You don't want to be alone, especially if you're tinier. Uh, make noise because they don't typically want to mess with you. And you do have kids. Keep them in between two larger adults. Yeah. Uh, you look out for ticks. Uh, and rodents can get into your stuff and make you sick. So you want to look. Well, and the, uh, the rodents in Glacier actually also have been known to carry hantavirus. Mm. So um, that's you can get that by inhaling like particle forms of rodent droppings in urine. So yeah, if they're in your food, they're going to be leaving urine and droppings, and then you don't yeah. you don't want uh, the hantavirus. <laughs> you don't. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I told you I have six kids. Yeah. Dad jokes just come naturally to me. Uh, terrain. So many accidents occur when people fall after stepping off trails or roadsides or by venturing into very steep slopes. You want to stay on the designated trails. This is true. There are several trails around there that have very steep cliff drop-offs. Yep. Uh, they even have like hoses. Remember, it's like old hose yeah. bolted to the wall to help you hang on. Well, and you, you don't want to like, we've said this before, like you go off trail, you start, you know, wrecking the natural environment there yes a lot of times you'll sometimes in parks you'll see areas that are like roped off and they'll be like regrowing the natural like habitat so just stay on the trail yep stay on the trail it makes it more beautiful for everyone doing it yeah uh snow and ice snow fields and glaciers present serious hazards snow bridges may conceal deep crevasses on glaciers or large hidden cavities under snow fields and collapse under the weight of an unsuspecting hiker so you don't ever want to slide on the snowbanks. people often lose control and slide into rocks or trees and exercise caution around any snow field that's really a big issue for people who don't live in mountainous areas yeah you've no idea how steep something is until you get moving on it on ice and then you can't stop my worry too is you're sliding down like a snow field and what if there's like a rock it's just like right in your like, <laughs> like just a half an inch of snow and you just hit that you, thing you discover it with your bum yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's not fun. I think anyone, everyone's seen those videos of skiers when they fall on mountains and they just spin uncontrollably. Yeah. That can happen to you. Yeah. And it's it doesn't require too much steepness if it's icy and snowy. No. Uh, so overall difficulty, it can be difficult. It can be easy. It's, yeah, there's mean, so much to offer at the park. Yeah, when we hiked it, I, I think, I mean, we did some harder stuff, but like around the visitor centers, there's lots of easy oh, yeah. hiking for... Maybe people that are elderly or people with really little kids or anybody with a disability, if they're in a wheelchair, they've got, there's probably, I think there's several tra- trails that are paved that you can, yeah that are handicap accessible. So 
Yeah, um, that's what's nice about the bigger parks is they they can truly cater to all yeah. needs. You know, yep. so that that's good. So, you want to jump into characters? Yeah. So of the story, uh, we've got three three different cases we're going to talk about, and the, two of these cases go back almost a hundred years. So information's a little sparse, uh, but. Our first case goes all the way back to August 25th of 1924. Joseph and William Whitehead, who were brothers, um, Joseph was age 29 and William was 22. And I actually have a poster from back in the day that has some more information on, um, you know, like how tall they were. So Joseph was 5'11", 175 pounds. He had gray eyes, dark brown hair. Um <laughs> this is kind of funny, the language they used back then. He had a ruddy complexion. I have no clue what that means. A runny complexion? Ruddy, R-U-D-D-Y. Ruddy complexion. Yeah. This, this is what the internet's for. You keep talking. I'm going to find out what the heck so, that means. Uh, he wore glasses with dark rims. His brother, William Whitehead, was age 22. He was five foot eleven and a half. Uh, having a healthy red cover color. Huh. So that's a ruddy complexion. I've never, yeah. never heard that before in my life, but... Think of like an like a old sea dog, like just a, a captain that like might be alcohol related. Yeah, that's kind of what I immediately think because like whenever when I was a paramedic and you walk up on an old dude where kind of looks like Santa Claus. Yeah, you're like, ooh, he likes whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was the in, immediate thought. Uh, so his brother uh, had brown eyes, dark brown hair, dark complexion. Also wore uh, dark rim glasses. Um. Here's what they were wearing. They were wearing uh, gray knickers, gray wool shirts. This totally was 100 years ago. High They're ruddy wearing their knickers. Yeah. Uh, high tan laced hiking shoes, soft felt hats. They carried light packs. Both wore sweaters, one gray, the other tan. They were sons of Miss Dora B. Whitehead of Chicago. Um, this was interesting. The family at the time offered a $1,700 reward for information on their disappearance, which in today's 1700? money, which in today's money is $30,000. So Jeez. they did come from, um, you know, I, it sounds like a wealthy family. So, um, and we'll get into a, more of their description later on that would kind of made me chuckle a little just because it's a hundred years ago. Yeah. Um, so they were both said to be brilliant young men. Um, oh, it, this is right here. It's one of one of the news articles from the time called them well-groomed, immaculately dressed city boys with a reserved demeanor. There you go. <laughs> so, um, Joseph was a graduate of the Lewis Institute and a former lieutenant in the Army Ordnance Division. At the time of his disappearance, he was an engineer for Universal Battery in Chicago. William was a student at MIT and was planning to graduate the following year. So they're smart. Both For, real smart guys. Yeah. So I don't have an exact timeline of when they left. Ah, well-groomed, immaculately dressed city boys with a reserved demeanor. <laughs> yeah. Stop supposing and start figuring. Ah, horseradish. <laughs> so uh, the brothers were not quite pot. You know, we don't know the timeline specifically on when they left Chicago for home. But the brothers left their mother's home in Chicago and traveled across the U.S. heading towards Glacier National Park. And I believe they didn't have a car, so this would have been by train. Uh, as they traveled, they wrote their mother daily about their trip. In the week leading up to their disappearance, the brothers had been hiking throughout the park, going on hikes to Iceberg Lake, Grinnell Lake, and Cracker Lake. 
They, uh, we went to Grinnell Lake. Yeah, we did go to Grinnell Lake. Um, they had been traveling by, they had been traveling in the park by car, boat, and horseback from Glacier Park Lodge to Granite Park Chalet. They had planned to hike 20 miles from uh, the chalet to Lewis Hotel, which is now called Lake McDonald Lodge, on August 24th of 1924. And then they planned to board the Great Northern Railroad's Oriental Limited back to Chicago. So on August 20th of 1924, Joseph wrote home, and this would turn out to be his last correspondence with his mom. He wrote, we are enjoying ourselves very much and taking no chances of injuring ourselves. Don't worry, mother. We want, we won't get into any danger. So now fast forward to August 24th of 1924. Four days later, in the early morning of uh, Sunday, August 24th, the brothers walked away from Granite Park Chalet and hiked into the forest on their way to Lewis Hotel at Lake McDonald. They were spotted for the last time dressed in hiking knickers and smiling just 10 miles from their final destination. So that would be the last time anyone would have seen them. Fast forward now to September 1st of 1924, um, when neither of the boys got off the train in Chicago to greet their mom, Miss Whitehead called the MPS and asked them to search, which uh, the MPS complied. Following uh, The following weeks, the park was searched extensively and was, at the time, said to have been the largest search in national park history. Lake McDonald was searched and all paths near the shoreline were checked. It was stated at the time the park would have been packed with tourists and if they had been injured near one of the trails, somebody would have heard it. Uh, per the NPS, there were no reports of distress Several days after the search had started, the park stated that they would u- utilize all available rangers, volunteers, government workers, in a systematic search of every possible location where they could be. Throughout the search, so this is interesting. Um, these guys were obviously from a, you know, they were well off. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, the media kind of picked up on this and said, we're kind of pressuring the park service. Like you have to find these boys. Like it's unacceptable if you don't find them. Even people throughout the U S government were contacting the park and saying, you need to keep looking all the resources, any resources you need, like use them to find them. Sure. So, uh, that was kind of the, the general consensus. And one of the articles said that it was because they were highly educated and in good physical condition and should not have gone missing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, well, there you go. Um, that's that's why we need to find them. So fast forward to uh, September 16th, and this is a statement from the Interior Secretary F.M. Goodwin. Um, 13 rangers, two famous Indian guides, and seven tried mountaineers were out for more than two weeks, Secretary F.M. Goodwin reported on September 16th of that year. There Never has been a search in the national park conducted with more vigor and effort. So, um, very interesting. It gets much more interesting. I can't believe uh, this next part. So, after almost six weeks of searching, the MBS, MPS had found nothing. Miss White had become so frustrated with the search that she contacted President Coolidge to ask for more assistance. After contacting the president, the FBI, at the direction of J. Edgar Hoover, was assigned to the case and pursued many leads. 
uh, which eventually led to led nowhere and de- deemed not credible. Jeez, the country was so much smaller back then. It My was kids a- went missing. Get the president. Yeah, and it was stated uh, Hoover personally oversaw the FBI search for the brothers and almost every month filed detailed progress reports with the director of the MPS or the secretary of interior. So can you imagine a time where a family member goes missing and you're just like, all right, well, call the president. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Yeah, get the president on the line. And uh, the FBI director just takes up personal interest in your case and oversees the investigation. I mean, that's that'd be unheard of yeah. in today's... I just found that really interesting. Um, so fast forward now to March 14th of 1925. So what, almost a year and a half or half a year later, the Whitehead family distributed 25,000 posters of the brothers explaining the circumstances and offering a reward of $1,700 which would be $30,000 in 2022. Uh, unfortunately, the posters failed to generate any new leads on the case. Uh, on August 19th of 1925, Miss Whitehead and her daughter traveled to Glacier National Park and were briefed by the park superintendent on the search efforts. The park service explained that the black bears living in the area at the time were not dangerous and they did not believe animals were involved in their disappearance. An article in the Chicago Daily Tribune from... August 19th of 20, 1925, stated, Mountaineers whom with Miss Whitehead and her daughter talked were convinced that the two had met with violence. Um, and a lot of people thought that they may have stumbled upon bootleggers. Uh, Though I don't understand what bootleggers would be doing in the middle of Glacier. I mean, it's... Yeah, where are they delivering? Yeah, and I mean, it's not like it's uh, an easy location to get to and from. Yeah. But, you know, that was the height of... Prohibition. When did Prohibition run from? I will look it up. Um, <clears throat> I feel like <clears throat> 1925 was probably like... Didn't Prohibition end in the 30s? Uh, 1920 to uh, January 17th, 1920 to December 5th, 1933. So the, 1925, it was kind of like the heat of Prohibition at that point. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, maybe that not out of the... If there's small mountain towns that are need booze, maybe they're taking trails. And maybe, yeah, maybe they didn't... You know, there was no aerial surveillance back then, so if you're out in the middle of nowhere, it'd be yeah. a great way to hide. Um, so, final comment on this. Dora White had believed the conjecture, writing the Secretary of Interior, I want my two sons, dead or alive. Surely I'm not asking too much. They belong to me. I have a right to them. My two sons were murdered or kidnapped in a national park, and I am pleading with the government of the United States to find them. So, the mom was convinced they were murdered in the park. And a lot of people at the time in the media thought that it could have been, you know, they stumbled upon organized crime related to bootlegging. Um, very interesting case. I had never heard of this before. Yeah. I mean, it's over a hundred, almost a hundred years old. So, um, it's, you know, it's weird when you go to the national park service cold case page, they have like, there's like 20 or 25, yeah. 29 people on there. But you know, this is a cold case. I mean, they weren't found. Uh, you know, why don't they? I don't know why they don't list these, but um, okay. Moving on to our next case, two out of three here. Uh, this one takes us to August 13th of 1934. So, still going back quite a ways. Gentleman's name was Frederick H. Loomley. Uh, he went missing, like I said, August 13th of 1934. He was a male, age 27. I don't. Uh, unfortunately have any more description about him. I couldn't find any additional information. 
Um, he was an Ohio State University assistant professor, so um, age 27 is already a professor, you know, probably a pretty smart guy. So, yeah. again, we don't have detailed information on exactly when he started hiking, but um, Frederick set off on a solo hike from Goat Haunt. Goat Haunt. 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 <laughs> a Goat Haunt camp at the south end of Upper Waterton Lake to the Waterton town site. Um, on August 12th of 1934, a postcard of Gunsight Lake written the day before he had disappeared read, Dear Kay, here is the drink that satisfies. I have been having early morning, afternoon, and evening cocktails of the one and only Aqua Pira Alamani Glacier. But swimming is out. Two cold baths have sufficed to prove uh, to me that uncleanliness is preferable to uncomfortableness anytime. <laughs> so, very uh, proper uh, postcard. So, obviously, he went on a solo hike and disappeared. So, after his disappearance, uh, this comes from the National Park Service, 28 experienced woodsmen searched the trails. A boat patrolled the shores of Waterton Lake, and climbers checked nearby Mount Cleveland. The search continued until winter set in, then resumed in the summer of 1935. Frederick's, Frederick's father off, also offered a $500 reward, but the Ohio State University professor was never found. Again, on this case, the FBI and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police helped the investigation, but neither were able to find any clues to solve the disappearance. So this gentleman, again, uh, went missing. So um, two cases pretty close to each other. Our third case, uh, we're going to jump forward to, and I don't know, is there anything you want to share? No, I'm, I'm flipping through photos just like, look at how clear the water is. You remember that, right? Yeah. It's just pristine. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing I took away from this park is just it's pure pristine. I mean, you look at Google Earth, look at it. It's, it's Google Earth image. When you look at it, you're like, look at how awesome those mountains look. Yeah. It, and it really is obviously better than that, but it's like this aggressive. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so can you find pictures of the lakes that they were mentioned? Um, so like Upper Waterton Lake. Upper Waterton. Um, and what are some of the other lakes I mentioned? Um, Cracker Lake. Um, Grinnell Lake too, since we were there. Yeah, I pull. I pulled one of them up. Was pictures from Grinnell Lake. Okay. <clears throat> oh, and then uh, Gunsight Lake. I never. I've never heard of any of these lakes other than Grinnell. Yeah, I think Grinnell's. The, isn't that near a visitor center? Well, yeah, because it's the Grinnell gl Glacier, and that's why oh, we okay. went. Like the Grinnell Glacier feeds into it, and I think that's it. If I'm remembering appropriately, let's see if I even have the picture from that one from our trip. Yeah, it's. One of these, because this is a picture, if you zoom in, that's you. Like, that's how <laughs> big this photo is. Yeah. It gives you an idea. Like, look at That's you. I think that's Ben. And you just go out. It's so vast. It's yeah. just huge. Because that's a glacier up in there that feeds one of the lakes. You can see the waterfall kind of there. Yeah. Like, look at there's Shay. Way over there. This is just, this is an example, too, for those watching, um, how steep it doesn't look that steep if that was ice and snow you could just slide and just not stop till you hit that hidden rock with your yeah. bum or you get all the way to the bottom and that's where like it's so beautiful but it can be dangerous in the winter yeah for those listening we're just looking at like almost like a u 
and this trail goes around this internal U, and you could see like this is like all carved out from the big glaciers from the ice age. Yeah, it's really really cool. Yeah. <clears throat> so, all right. So far, uh, theories on the first two cases I've talked about. Any ideas or, um, with it being so long ago, I, uh, I definitely feel like it's more not being prepared. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, like, or just lack of gear. You're uh, out in the wilderness a hundred years ago compared to out in the wilderness now. Yeah. It's rugged when we went back country. Yeah. So I can't imagine what it was like when they were out there. I think with the first case, and we'll get into the third case in a minute, I think it, I find it strange that two people disappeared on the same hike. That makes me think that like some kind of criminal activity is more likely. Um, or an accident. With both of them? If one falls, the other one tries to help them? I mean, we've been doing a lot of cases. Have we ever done a case where, other than that father and son... That went and that only happened because the father was missing, and then the son went to look for him and got lost. Yeah, we've never had a case where two individuals have gone missing at the same time and never were found. Yeah, it's just it's unusual. It usually what happens is people be in a big group and one person will veer off and do yeah. their own thing and then goes missing. Yeah, and then all of a sudden they never return. Yeah, I mean, I perhaps they did uh, come into contact with some bootleggers and um we're both you know murdered. or grizzlies or grizzlies and you don't have the tech technology and well it irony is they said they got like local indian guides to go look for them i mean that was probably the best thing you could have i'm sure those people had the whole park mapped like the back of their hand yeah and they found no trace of them now and obviously search techniques back you know 100 years ago probably don't compare to you know, a sophisticated search yeah. in 2023. They don't have any aerial surveillance. Um, it didn't sound like in that first case that they used any kind of dogs. Um, you know, it. these people, none of them are probably trained in like, I didn't even, probably back then they didn't even train in I think professional they, yeah, search and rescue techniques. I'm sure they got the professional trackers mm-hmm. out and that was like, okay. And then if anyone else volunteers, it's like, all right, here's where we think they were, go. Yeah. And so, I mean, if they had gone missing in 2022, maybe they would have been found with mm-hmm. today's technology. Maybe not. I think the second case, a solo hiker, um, you know, that seems that's more in line with a lot of cases we've covered. And, you know, it's so long ago, we don't have a lot of details of the case. Yeah. But, it, you know, in that letter, he's talking about swimming in cold oh. glacial lakes. I mean, I tried. I've tried it. It's so cold. It's brutal. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe he suffered a medical emergency swimming in one of those lakes and drowned. Or just got hypothermia. Yeah. On the way out or was out too long. I think, uh, I think my theory on the second one is something water related. Just be only because we don't have a lot of information, but he talks about swimming, even though he says he doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. It's not, it, it means he has done it. And he's hiking alone. We don't know what kind of gear he had with him. Um, my theory on the second one is probably something, and there's so many lakes in Glacier. What do we say, 200? or um, I think it's a lot of them are unnamed even. I don't think they're all named. Yeah, they'll be like 
the names that people come up with when they're out people of ideas. People just give them names. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I read that there's a lot of lakes in Glacier that are officially unnamed. Uh, 762 lakes. Yeah, So, and that's where... Um, was I with you on the trip where we were talking to the trail guide and they were talking about their secret lakes that they go to? It might have been. I mean, might have been Glacier. Yeah, I know it was Glacier. I just didn't know if it was with you or the last group I went with, but we were talking to some trail guides that basically said, like, the people that work there know routes and things to lakes that are unnamed that no one knows how to get to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because like, there's so <clears throat> much space that's, like, their little where they get away. Yeah, so perhaps he went off trail, went swimming in one of these unnamed lakes, and uh, that was the end of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so so far, case number one, I think it was foul play, just because it's unusual to have two people go missing on the same trail. Um, or maybe a grizzly attack. Yeah. Um, case two, I think it's something water-related. Uh, I'm, I'm with you on that one. In that day and age... Um, they're not going to have the technology to do a thorough search of the lake bottoms. Yeah. And with 762 lakes, I mean, it'd be a crapshoot probably picking which ones. So. Yeah, and that was September, so it's starting to get cold. Yeah. Yeah. So. So our third case, we're, uh, we're bringing it back to uh, more recent times. So uh, the gentleman of our third case, his name was Patrick Whalen. Uh, he went missing on November 20th of the year 2000. Uh, he was a male, age 33. He was 6 feet, 155 pounds. He had blonde strawberry hair, hazel eyes with wireframe glasses. Uh, a little bit about his personality from friends. This guy sounded like a just a amazing, like special human being. Uh, he loved to help people working with migrant farmhands and hiking to raise money for cystic fibrosis research. Before leaving Ohio, he volunteered for Habitat Humanity and the Cleveland Food Bank. He once took a panhandler into a sandwich shop and bought him a meal. He also joined um, university hospitals, but a university hospital, but quit in 1992 for what he called a hike for life along the Pacific Crest Trail um, with an old friend from St. Anne. Mounting snow and fatigue prompted the friends to cut short the 2,600-mile trek. So occupation, hobbies, he graduated from St. Anne's grade school, um, and he got a bachelor's degree in nursing. He was a registered nurse. I need to become a doctor in uh, naturopathy. Did I say that right? Uh, N-A-T-U-R-O. Naturopathy? Naturopathy, which stresses natural health care. Um, We're going to throw it in the old translate machine <laughs> that we pay thousands so, of dollars for. It one, is... <clears throat> Oh, I got to turn the volume up. How about that? Naturopathy. 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 I said naturopathy. Oops. Yep. So uh, close. He loved uh, Patrick loved to hike. He actually, uh, his friends said he earned the title survivalist due to hiking thousands of miles along the Pacific Crest Trail and spending hundreds of hours in various natural parks. So, uh, guy, I would say is experienced he had been to glacier many times and enough times that rangers actually remembered uh various contacts with him where they said he seemed normal no issues um so very interesting individual so in early november 2000 patrick's father had contacted the u.s park service explaining that his uh he hadn't heard from his son and was worried that something might be wrong uh the park uh, told him that they didn't have any recent encounters with him but would keep his name on file. 
So on 11, uh, November 2nd of 2000, while driving uh, his truck on U.S. Highway 89, uh, Patrick actually hit a deer. <clears throat> Witnesses in the area saw Patrick put a pillow under the deer's head, place a blanket over it, and then leave food near its mouth. Jeez. Um, it, it did appear, though, that Patrick had abandoned his truck and left to backpack into Glacier National Park, which I find strange. I don't know um, why why he would do that. And it was unclear from reports if the truck was still operate in operating condition, but the truck was towed by orders of the local police and was impounded on November 3rd of 2000. So, uh, for almost, uh, for half a year, there was no activity regarding, uh, Patrick and any NPS reports until, uh, May 10th of 2001, when his father once again contacted the park service because he hadn't heard anything. So now it gets a little interesting. On May 27th of 2001, park ranger Michelle Madland was on a routine hike with a former park employee in the Atlantic Creek campground area when she came across something uh, strange, according to her report. She stated that she had found an abandoned, she had found abandoned backpacking equipment in a campsite. She stated that she found a tent that was partially falling down but had obviously been there throughout the winter. It was a blue REI brand tent that had all the zippers closed and no tears in the fabric, uh, and the tent was sealed. Michelle looked inside the tent and found everything you'd expect uh, in a tent for someone who is sleeping in it except the person. <laughs> the ranger found a pair of boots, wool hat, mittens, um, a pack, underwear, shorts, and other clothing, toiletries, a stove, food, water, water filtration system, and a commercial driver's license belonging to Patrick. So they found Patrick's camp. Um, what was missing was an empty buck knife case. So his buck knife was missing, um, which is interesting. So Michelle and her coworker took photos of the site and then hung uh, the food from ropes so the bears couldn't get it. She also stated in her report that it looked like the bears or any other animals hadn't disturbed the site at that point. Uh, she was deep enough in the park that she couldn't establish radio contact with HQ. So she, uh, so they hiked out uh, of the area and contacted other backcountry rangers. On May 28th, additional rangers hiked out to the site and started an inside-out search that consisted of an extensive investigation of the site and a detailed search of the area. Rangers also learned that Patrick's truck, which at this point had now been um, towed over six months ago was still in the tow lot. Um, his truck was searched, but no additional clues were found. On May 30th, cadaver dogs were brought into the Atlantic Creek campground, campground area and were searching for any indication that a body was in the area. Uh, it, sadly, after several hours of searching, the dog handlers were convinced that there was no, um, no body in the area. So park officials do not believe Patrick wintered at the camp, uh, but instead point to evidence suggesting the site had been abandoned since last fall. Patrick was also not issued a backcountry permit to camp in Glacier, which is required by park policy. Uh, park and, so this is interesting too, park and tribal investigators were told by Patrick's friends and family that the missing man had exhibited symptoms of unusual and potentially obsessive behavior, including paranoia, which may have played a role in his disappearance. So, oh, wow. um, that's too bad that 
there's not a lot of information on this case on the internet, sadly. And it's still an open case. Yeah, one of the first images is from our website. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. And so I looked at the second image and I'm like, oh, we already uh, have a... <laughs> yeah, there you go. Perfect. Um, so a very strange case. Um, it, you know, if he was suffering from mental health issues, that makes more sense. That would, yeah. I don't understand why if you hit a deer, you would leave your car and just you know, go off into the woods. Yeah, that sounds like something that someone would do that's not in the right state of mind, unfortunately. Um, what's interesting, though, is what was left in his tent in my mind. So pretty much all of his gear except his knife were in his tent, which makes me wonder, you know, did he was he sleeping one night and got startled and, like, grabbed his knife and went outside to see what was going on and then never came back to the tent? Um or like went to like go cut some wood up or something like that. Something and but even his boots were left in the tent. So it makes me think yeah. like it was in a panic, like something happened and he panicked and if maybe if he was suffering from paranoia, he for some yeah, reason you're by yourself out there. Yeah. I get paranoid when I'm out there. And if he could have been out there for weeks, months, we don't know how long he was at the site. They don't think he was he wintered it over, but they don't know. Yeah. I mean his you know, even though it's winter, so bears are, you know, hibernating. It would, it's pretty unusual if you had food just sitting on the ground that it would survive undisturbed for an entire winter. You'd yeah. think like rodents or something, something would, would eat it, come in there and try to eat it. That's so wild. So you got to think that he abandoned his campsite after, I would say, wouldn't it make sense if he abandoned after winter set in? Because if it's still fall and, you know, the fall too, if I remember correctly, bears are you know, scouring for food, getting ready for the winter. Yeah, they wouldn't let a meal go away. Yeah, if there's food just sitting in a tent. Yeah, if they're hibernating, you still have your, you know, squirrels and what's the the marmots. Even even the the deer in the park, remember, someone told us that you didn't want to leave your salty, like, sweaty boots outside. Oh, yeah, they'll chew on it. The deer will come and chew on it or literally, like, pick your boots up and walk away with them. Yeah, they love chewing the salt out of leather from the sweat. Yeah, so you would think, like, you could even, you know, if his boots are sitting in his tent, would, you know, interested deer come by? and Yeah. I don't know. So this is a very strange case. Um, again, the mental health aspect kind of throws me for a loop. You know, if he's suffering from paranoia, I anything could have happened. Um, I, I'm with you. I think that has a uh, thing to do with it. I do. Yeah. So... Um, so, yeah, three very interesting cases. I, I heard of the Patrick Whalen case. I was aware of that one. I had never heard of the, the two older ones. Those are new to me when I yeah. was researching this. Um, it's just interesting thinking, you know, like we were in the park at some of those spots that the first two people 100 years ago went missing. Yeah. And it's <laughs> like we were just hiking around. And I always wonder about people that go missing that no one is aware of. Yeah. There has to be in, especially in some of those areas. Like well, somebody it, just went, no one knew they that went first case 1924. Yeah. Everyone maybe thinks like, Oh, they must've left town. Like Ask, just no clue. Just grab a hundred people. You pass on the trail in glacier and just say, do you know who these two people are? Just say their names. Yeah. And I bet not as I would have known. Yeah. Not a single person would say, Oh, these two people went missing a hundred years ago. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right here. <laughs> In this spot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they don't even know who did if they did, like, last year if the pictures aren't hung up. Yeah. So, so it makes you wonder how many, 
like while you're hiking out there have gone missing in areas you're in? Well, I definitely think about it way more often yeah, now so since doing this show. <laughs> it's like, all right, what am I going to run into out here and how many right. people have dealt with it and did not make it out? So to summarize, I would say case number one, I'm, I'm saying foul play. Case number two, water-related. And case number three, I think it has to do something with his paranoia. Something spooked him in the middle of the night, and he panicked and ran out of his tent to go see what it was. And then something happened. Maybe he got lost yeah, or turned around or fell. It's late in the year for that area. Yeah. He, to be he was known for hiking later in the park than most people would. That came up in the stuff I was reading. Just of the weather that we know about now, yeah, I think it's either with you, mental health, or weather condition, weather related. And if he ran out without any of his gear and it started raining or it was raining, I mean. Yeah. Or blizzarding or yeah. snowing, like any any yeah. of that, like yeah. that you would not last long. No. So, um, yeah, three. I'm with you. I don't have any off the deep end. No. There's not enough information for me to, like, work up a crazy theory. Yeah, I mean, this the Patrick Whalen one, you could say, like, you could go off the deep end and say, like, it was Bigfoot or something, maybe. Oh, all of them, aliens, for all of them. <laughs> there you go. Like, there's the deep end. Like, it's, there's no deep end that's not anything that you wouldn't see yeah. in Prometheus Studios. Yeah. The, the ancient aliens uh, creators. Yeah. So, um, we're, we're, when they don't understand something, they just explain it away with aliens. Aliens. Yeah. It's, I, well, we can't explain because it it's just uh, aliens. So, uh, well, hopefully you enjoyed uh, another installment of uh, National Park Cold Cases. Yes. This Th- is a way for us to get, talk about parks we've never talked about and cases that are n- not, at, none of these cases we could actually do a full episode on, but a couple of them together, we can then yeah bring light to them. Yeah. There's thousands of these. We got to be able to get to all of them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before we die. Yes. In a park. So <laughs> thanks again for tuning into our show. We appreciate all of you for listening and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. You want to subscribe there for sure. Also, if you'd like to support the show monetarily, please visit our website or Facebook store to buy some cool swag. You'll look awesome in the wilderness with a locations unknown hat. Additionally, you can subscribe to our Patreon account uh, on YouTube and on Apple subscriptions where you'll have access to special events, additional shows for paid customers only, and lastly, when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or simply taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time.